you see a picture there of our home, a picture taken from the air from the south uh, east. Uh, in last month, I was going on the computer every morning to find out where the closest fire was. We had a bunch of them, and uh, but they all went away, and lo and behold, little did we know, we would be next to one right here in in uh, Corvallis, and and it might have been uh, a mile away from where we are living, and not so far away from where some of you are living. And uh, I think it's uh, wonderful for us to be able to depend on God and say thank you, God, for keeping our homes safe and uh, uh, keeping the homes of our neighbors safe. And so we really thank the Lord for that. The the sky was brilliant. In fact, we could literally see flames from where we live down on um, Walnut and Highland. So uh, it's it was pretty scary there for a little while. And also, a few of our men were uh, first responders, and we thank God for them. We thank God that everybody's safe, and we praise the Lord that everybody's home is safe. Isn't that great? This is our home. Yes. This is our home. And uh, this is another picture from the southwest. We live in a um, in a um, an eighteen hundred square foot uh, Marlette manufactured home that I put on a foundation. I took Carolyn out for Mother's Day one day and bought her a new house. And uh, um, uh, this, by the way, over to the left is my shop. I have a thirty by thirty shop. So I don't care if the house burns down, as long as, as long as my shop survives. No, that's not true, really. Uh, uh, this is what we look like in the winter time, and we look like that sometime uh, every winter. Sometimes it gets a little worse, and it looks like this. This is our front deck with about uh, uh, three and a half feet of snow on it, and. Uh, um, we uh, this is the view off of our front deck. We see about 12 miles uh, down to the foothills of the Bitterroot Mountain Range, which is where we live. We're at 3,500 feet. Uh, this is what it looks like early in the morning as the sun gets ready to come over those hills. Uh, that's almost due east there. I cut wood. I we have a wonderful furnace. But we also have a wood stove, and I like wood heat, and sometimes I can get my boy to help me. Not very often, actually, but uh, but when he comes, he's a big help. And uh, we split all that wood, and I have a great wood splitter. She does a wonderful job. <laughs> and, and so uh, uh, we like burning wood, and... Uh, this is Huckleberry. Um, I only show you that picture because you've heard me say a few times, I need a puppy. And uh, Huckleberry last year at the age of five went to that big doghouse in the sky. And uh, so I'm, uh, as soon as I find the right puppy and I have Carolyn convinced, then I'll get me a new puppy. Uh, elk come into our backyard. That's our yard. You can see part of the picnic table over there and 
Carolyn's bird feeders, and uh, uh, this is uh, three to five times a week. They come in sometimes in larger herds than that. Um, deer, we have whitetail and mule deer. You have blacktail here, but you have as many deer as we see almost. Uh, uh, they walk right down the middle of the streets around here. And so uh, uh, they come no matter what time of year it is. And uh, in the wintertime, when the snow's on the ground, the deer and the elk will eat anything. They will eat Carolyn's rhododendrons right down to the ground. Uh, Fortunately, they're a sturdy plant. Uh, They will eat bark right off the trees because uh, if they have trouble getting getting food. Uh, This little guy was dropped right off our back deck. Carolyn took a picture. It's not a good picture, but it does show you what we see in the wild. We live in the middle of the forest, actually. And uh, moose, the moose come in. And Huckleberry said, I want this guy out of here. And the moose looked at Huckleberry and said, you better be careful, buddy. Uh, and I, I put a salt lick out there so that we can see the animals come in and enjoy them and take pictures of them. This young bull came in uh, a few years ago, and uh, uh, we had a young bull come in and walk all the way around the house one day. Uh, birds, we have birds. Carolyn loves her hummingbirds. We get uh, uh, about three different species of hummingbirds. And she took this picture, I might add. Uh, bald eagles, we have eagles. We live on the river. They nest on the river. And we have lots and lots of eagles. When Huckleberry was a puppy, we couldn't let him go out by himself because he wouldn't last very long. Um, osprey, we have lots of osprey. And like here... Uh, the state builds platforms on top of power poles so that they don't build their nests in the, in the actual uh, wires themselves and, and disrupt the power. Wild turkeys, we have lots and lots of wild turkeys. You have them here too. We have so many up there, people don't know what to do with them, except some of us do. Uh, Thanksgiving was good that year. Uh, fishing. This is a seven-pound northern pike. Uh, the fingers from Lake Coeur d'Alene come way south, about 60 miles south. And uh, by the time they get down to by where we are, uh, they put different names on those lakes. And I got this guy out of one of those. I take my grandkids fishing. This is the kind of day when I spend all day baiting hooks. Um, we went pheasant hunting, and this was on a pheasant ranch, and uh, they released 130 pheasants, and we came back with 122 of them. Um, this is our family a number of years ago. Uh, this is on our hill uh, across from our house, and uh, it behind us there, it just drops down pretty fast down to the river, and... Um, uh, this is our family. Uh, four years ago, we went to Disneyland. The whole family went. That's the way to go to Disneyland. And so we took a picture of the whole family. The chipmunks are from Carolyn's side of the family. <laughs> this is our daughter and her husband, Doug. Uh, this picture was taken in Greece. And uh, they like to travel. And and uh, her name is Ray Lynn. Ray Lynn. Carolyn's name is 
Carolyn Ray. My name is Richard Lynn. We were 8,000 miles apart when she was born, and she wound up with Ray Lynn. So this is their family, Delena and Nathaniel. Delena is a freshman in high school. I can't believe it. And uh, this is our son, Rick, and his wife, Jody. They live in Idaho. Raylin and her family live in Olympia, Washington. And um, this is Rick and their family, Mac and Riley. Riley is also a freshman in high school. I can't believe it. They need to quit growing. And um, this is Carolyn and me and the, the grandkids just a few weeks, a few months ago. They wouldn't let me show the picture I wanted to show. They had a picture of Carolyn and me standing and the kids bowing down, worshiping us. <laughs> so uh, that's our family and that's our other life. And uh, uh, that's where we live. And so you have an idea of what all of that looks like. We want to change the subject and talk a little bit about stress. You don't have any stress, do you? No, you never have stress. Uh, one of the things I like to say is uh, if you don't have any problems in your life, wait a minute because they're coming. It's the nature of life. Uh, life has troubles and problems. And today we want to talk a little bit about stress. Let's bow together and pray. Our Father, we come today with your word in front of us. Yes, we have an outline and and we've done some work in it, but it's your word, Father. And, and we don't want to come, Father, just because it's church, just because it's Sunday morning. We don't want to, we don't want to sit here and listen because it's my job and and because that's where we are this morning, we we want you, Father, to take your word and implant it into our hearts so that we learn, so that we know how to live life in a way that honors you. That's, that's really what we care about, Father. And I think any one of us in this room would say that's our primary concern for today is to live a life that honors you. We pray today, Father, that you will use your word in our lives and and bless us this morning in in a way that would uh, burn some of these truths into our hearts far enough to where we would, in fact, practice them for your glory. And we'll thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week we talked about conflict, and I walked away thinking it was a little bit of a heavy sermon uh, and remember, we started out by saying people differ, deal with conflict differently. And uh, remember, the lady said, I didn't see you rob this bank, but I think my husband did. Well, people deal with stress differently as well. There was this young guy who was taking luggage at the uh, at the curbside luggage reception place outside the airport. And this fellow came along with his luggage and he was checking in. And he checked his luggage there. And when he was checking it, this young guy couldn't do anything right. Everything he did, the man hollered at him. And he 
he he he belittled him and he called him little names and the guy was angry just through and through and nothing this young guy did uh, could make this guy happy and then uh, finally he was finished with him and he, the guy went into the airport and the next guy came up and he said to this young guy he said young man how in the world do you continually deal with that kind of abuse and the young man said Oh, it's no big deal. That guy's going to New York. I just sent his luggage to Brazil. <laughs> so there are different ways of dealing with stress. See? And uh, uh, the Apostle Paul starts out by telling us in chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Now remember, repetition. Repetition is important to Paul. He's a Jew. And he finds emphasis in repetition. Also, the word rejoice is a command. It's an imperative. So you and I don't get a choice. We have to rejoice. Um, uh, and this, I might add, is the last time that the word is used in our book. It's used 17 times in this book. And now we find it used for the last time. And let me point out again the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is controlled by our circumstances. I am happy when I'm in Disneyland. I will be happy when I get a new puppy. Uh, but joy is given to us because of what we know about the character of God. You have to understand the difference here. Because if you understand the character of God, you come to the place where you can have some of the worst problems you could get on the planet and still have joy. Because your joy is based on the character of God, not based on your circumstances. Happiness is based on... You can be unhappy and have joy. And that's an important distinction to make. And then what Paul is going to do is he's going to give us four very simple but profound statements on how to manage stress in our lives. And let me say two things about this. First of all, none of these work by themselves. You can't just practice one of them and then say to God, how come I'm not dealing with stress very well? You've got to put all four of them together. They have to be operational in concert in your life. And if they are operational in concert, then you're going to be dealing with stress the way God wants you to deal with it. Here's the second thing I want to say about these four very simple and profound. I call them profound for a reason. The reason that I call them profound is if you practice these four things, you will be living the way God wants you to live. You won't need anything else. You won't need any more do's or don'ts. If you practice these four things, they're simple, but if you practice these four things, you will be living the kind of life that will honor God, you will be living the kind of life that will magnify your relationship with God. 
And you'll be in tune with God every minute of your living life. And I think that is a great thing for us to consider. I used to have a friend in Portland whose name was Bob Elliott. He actually was Jim Elliott's brother. And Bob was a chiropractor. Bob's mother was a chiropractor. And Bob was my chiropractor alongside of being a friend and We hunted together once in a while. And uh, Bob used to say, there's two keys to dealing with stress. Key number one, don't sweat the small stuff. Key number two, it's all small stuff. And it is, especially when you consider the nature and the character and the sovereignty and the power and the omniscience of our God and the omnipotence of our God. It's all small stuff to God. So the result is God wants us to view a lot of this the same way. So four steps toward handling stress. Step number one, here it comes. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor. How is that possible? The Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And we tend sometimes to be worriers. A uh, guy went into his doctor and, and he said, doctor, uh, he said, I'm worried. Doctor said, what are you worried about? He said, I'm worried that worrying about my ulcer will make it worse. See, we, we tend to be worriers. We find stuff. To worry over. And the Apostle Paul said, be anxious. That's another way of saying don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. So there's nothing that can come into your life that would constitute the necessity of your worrying about it. Remember that worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended you to have. Worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended you to have. If you worry, you are not trusting in God. If you worry, it reflects your level of faith. If you know somebody who's worrying, don't ask them not to worry. Ask them who their God is. Talk to them about who God is, and build their strength and their relationship with the character of God because that's how you deal with worry. Worrying is not going to change. It is not going to alter. It is not going to control the future. All it does is mess up the present because you and everybody around you will be affected by your worry. The, uh, the Lord Jesus dealt with this entire subject beginning in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, going all the way through the end of the chapter. And so uh, uh, Jesus uses birds and he uses flowers to show us that God cares enough about them to take care of them. Surely he cares enough about the people for whom his son died to take care of them. And so don't worry about anything. Worry is trying to control the uncontrollable. Worry is trying to control 
the uncontrollable. In a sense, when we worry, what we end up doing is playing God a little bit. Worry is stewing without doing. See, everybody wants to clean up the planet. Nobody wants to help mom with the dishes. That's kind of the way things go. You know, we want to talk about cleaning up the planet, but we don't want to talk about cleaning up our room. Uh, the result of this is we get to worrying and we find out that we're stewing without doing. We find out that we're worrying and not doing the things that would be necessary in order to make that worry go away. So Paul says, don't worry about anything. Uh, Dr. Walter Cavert uh, wrote a um, wrote a paper on this, and he pointed out that 40% of our worries never happen. He pointed out that 30% of our worries are about the past. They're already gone. It's already done. He points out that 12% are needless worries about our health. He points out that 10% are about insignificant petty concerns. And only 8% of the things we worry about are actually legitimate concerns. Do you see what's happening there? 92%, when you add it up, 92% of the stuff we worry about either will never happen or it's too insignificant to worry about. And so the Apostle Paul is telling us here, don't worry about anything. One of the things that we have to learn, and Jesus points this out in Matthew chapter 6, is that today is the only day I have to get through. In my case, this sermon is the only sermon i got to get through right now. Uh, See, today is the only day God wants you and me to live one day at a time. Just one. Jesus says, tomorrow has problems that you don't even know about yet. Tomorrow has its own problems. And when you get there, then you can deal with those. But today, deal only with today's problems. We had a friend in Portland in our church in Portland. His name was Cliff Caw. He's now home with the Lord. And uh, he, uh, he was at the front door every Sunday morning of his life. And he would stick that meaty hand out to me. He was a big guy. Uh, and he would stick his meaty hand out to me. And he would say, good morning, Pastor Rich. And I would say, how are you today, Cliff? And the same words came out of his mouth. Every time I asked the question, he would say, one day at a time, one day at a time. And that's how God wants us to live, one day at a time. I think sometimes we get too worried about the things coming down the road, two months, three months, two years, three years, and we're not even there yet. And how many times do we worry about things that when we get there, they're not there either? So step number one, don't worry about anything. Step number two, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Be in conversation with God about everything that's going on in your life. He, Paul says in verse 6, 
but in everything by prayer, pros, uh, 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 prosuke the word is, and he means prayer in general. And then he says, and supplication. Some translations translate that petition, uh, diasis, the word is, and it means more specific kind of prayers. An example would be, we say, God, bless this worship service this morning. Or we can say, God, take the truth of Scripture this morning and drive it into my heart so that I know what you want me to do after this service is over. See, one is general, one is more specific. This week, one day, I tend to talk to God. I tend to walk around, drive around, walk to God, talk to God. And um, sometimes I have to be careful with that. Uh, this week, I, I left the office and was headed out for lunch, and I was going out into the back to my truck and suddenly I and I was talking to God along the way suddenly I realized I was standing in the middle of the parking lot nowhere near my truck um, got to be careful with that sometimes but God wants us to pray about everything listen if it's big enough to worry about it's big enough to pray about and I don't know how many times people come and say Boy, I've got this going on. And I slip my arm around them and I say, let's pray about it right here. I don't care who's around. Uh, You all can do the same thing. Uh, When you're talking to someone here on campus and and, uh, you're in the foyer or someplace and they're sharing something with you, stop and pray about it. Pray about everything. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. God always replaces the negative with a positive. That's why he says, cast all your cares upon him. That's the negative. Because he cares for you. That's the positive. And so God says, pray about everything. Petition or supplication, which I've already said, is a word which means specific or detailed kind of prayers. Uh, No problem you could possibly have is too big for an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. Think about it. The God who created every person in the universe with a different fingerprint think about it the God who created every person on the planet with ten different fingerprints there are no two of us in the room that have the same you saw all that snow piled up on our house the God who said who who made every snowflake that ever falls different from every other one. The God who takes every voice pattern of every person that has ever lived or ever will live and makes them different. There's not any one in the room that matches another. This is the God who can take care of your worries and my worries. Sometimes all we have to do is talk to him about them. Sometimes we spend more time worrying 
And if we would take the time that we worry about our problems and pray about our problems, our relationship with God would become very different. Step number one, don't worry about anything. Step number two, pray about everything. Step number three, thank God for everything. Thank God for everything. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says this, same author, With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In everything, give thanks. The word in may be translated in. It may be translated for. The fact is, it's not very far apart, no matter how you look at it. Thank God for everything. In everything, give thanks for why? Why? Because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you and me to say, God, thank you, no matter what it is. The fire is burning next to your house. How can you say thank you? But that's what God wants you to do. You don't know the future. Remember, the house doesn't belong to you. It's God's house. If God wants to burn it down, you've got to be willing to let God burn it down. Uh, Carolyn and I met in March of 1964. Uh, we were trying to decide whether we liked each other or not. Uh, I think she already decided, but uh, uh, in March, September, uh, March 27th at um, a little after 5 in the afternoon, 5.23 to be exact, the Alaskan earthquake happened and the shaking started. I was in an operations area. It was a top secret area. I couldn't get away from it. Carolyn was in uh, a home that she was living in and uh, they had given her a cholera shot. Everybody got a cholera shot. Everything was down. There was no septic. There was no water. We had to boil snow in order to get some decent water to drink. There was nothing available in the city of Anchorage. And uh, the, the peninsula was even worse yet. And Carolyn is laying in a sleeping bag on the floor and... Uh, very, very sick from a cholera shock. And it was several days till we saw each other again. And we took a ride. And at a point in time, we stopped. And we said, if we come together, by that time, I think I knew too. If we come together, we will decide here and now that we will always say thank you, Lord, for anything you bring into our lives. And that's the way we've walked through life. It doesn't matter what kind of tragedy. It doesn't matter what kind of issue. I know God wants to do something, and I'm not omniscient, so I don't know what it might be. But I know who does know, and I'm going to stick with him. So as a result, Paul says, thank God for everything. The healthiest human emotion is an attitude of gratitude. The healthiest human emotion. If you run into somebody who's really thankful, full of gratitude, 
about what's going on in your life, you'll know it in a minute flat. Ungrateful people tend to be unhappy people. You can't do anything to make them happy, it seems. They gripe about just about everything. So step one, don't worry about anything. Step two, pray about everything. Step three, thank God for everything. Step four, think about the right things. And what the Apostle Paul does here is he gives us eight moral standards for us to put into this little thing that we call, this little computer that we call a brain. So he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Not just think about them, but your mind dwell on these things. Take them in. Memorize them. Realize them. Understand them. These are the things that will transform your mind. Remember, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And that's what he's saying here. So he's telling us, think about the right things. Let me explain to you that this passage is a passage that defines moral excellence. Immoral people can't live by this passage. But God wants us to be moral people. And that's why I say, if you did nothing but that, your Christian life would be right where God wants it to be. If everything you thought about was right, if everything you spent time looking at was pure, if everything you put into your mind was true, there was no falsehood, whatever, you'd be right where God wants you to be. See, what you think affects the way you feel. And how you feel affects the way you act. That's why the Apostle Paul said, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Whatever you think about is what you are becoming. And that's why the Scriptures place such emphasis on what goes in. Remember when computers were just coming out, uh, they had this little phrase, uh, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. That's precisely what we're talking about here. And what is the result of all of this? And the peace of God, in verse 7, the peace of God which passes all understanding, all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a promise of guaranteed peace of mind. That's different than worry, isn't it? That's very different than worry. So what do you do? You 
You don't worry about anything. You pray about everything. You thank God for everything. And you think only about the right things. And you know what? Not only will you deal with stress, but you will be right where God wants you to be any minute of any day. I, I, I put new tires on the truck a while back, and I had this little bump in the truck, and we were at home with the truck, and I took the truck into Les Schwab. I like Les Schwab, and the reason I like Les Schwab is that up where we live in North Idaho, you can go to any podunk town, any place, and there's a Les Schwab there. So I have tire wheel service when I need it. And uh, so I went to Les Schwab, and they took all my wheels off and rebalanced my tires. My bump went away. But 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 in the process, it was early in the morning. I got there when they opened. Across the street in St. Mary's, Idaho, across the street from Les Schwab, there's a little restaurant, Handy Corner, it's called. It's not a big restaurant. It's a little restaurant. And uh, uh, I went in there to have a bowl of oatmeal while they were working on my truck. And... Uh, I'm sitting in there, and in handy corner, there's this bunch of old guys go. I mean, uh, I mean, they are at least as old as Don Snow. <laughs> and you know that's saying something. Uh, uh, and, and so these old guys come, and they sit around there for a couple of hours and drink coffee and talk about the old times. Now, uh, these are guys who's whose hands are gnarled from running a chainsaw all of their life and and their faces are are cooked and wrinkled and overdone and uh they're sitting around there in their 80s and 90s and they're they're talking about local problems and and we have them up there and uh they're talking about national problems and international problems and uh of course, they're whining about this and they're whining about that. And this restaurant's not very big. You don't get very far away from anybody. But there's about six of them around the round table. I wanted to jump in a couple times, but I don't know that they'd hear what I want to say. Uh, anyway, I was just getting ready to leave, and they were getting ready to leave. And they started to stand up, and one old guy said, Well, there's one thing we don't have to worry about anymore. One of the old, other old guys says, what's that? He said, we ain't going to die young. <laughs> See, God says, I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. Listen to this statement. Tomorrow... Today will be yesterday. Do you get that? Tomorrow, today, will be yesterday. If I spend all day today worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow when I don't even know what tomorrow holds, I'm going to have a wasted life. And God is saying, don't worry about anything. God is saying, pray, pray, Pray about everything, no matter how big, no matter how small. Be specific. And God is saying, be thankful for everything that comes into your life. And God is saying, 
make sure garbage doesn't go in because if it does, garbage will come out and the other three won't be able to happen. Remember, they have to be in concert, not just one of them, but all four of them together. So I don't know what you're worrying about today. I don't know what might be on your heart. And it doesn't mean that there isn't stuff going on. There is. But you know what? You're not in charge of it anyway. So it's best to trust the one who is in charge. Let's bow together and pray. Our Father, we sing many wonderful things about you, about who you are, about what you've done, especially about what you've done for us. I would ask you this morning, Father, don't just make them words to us. Make them a part of our heart, a part of our whole being. All of this sermon, Father, all of the nice points, all of the four issues... And yet, Father, it all comes down to trusting an all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present kind of God. So, Father, I would pray that as we think about conflict, as we think about worry and stress, Make us a kind of people, Father, where a new pastor would want to come and say, this is where I want to be. This is the kind of people I want to minister with. These are strong, godly people. And we ask you, Father, that in the process of that, that you would take our lives every day and use them for Jesus' sake. Amen.